Welcome back everyone to this episode of the Fanta Podcast. After a fairly long hiatus, I'm your host, Lachlan Byrne. I've learned so much from this guest today and I can't wait to have you guys hear what he had to say and um, just hope you learned so much from him. And he's joining us from Queensland. We have pro surfer and founder of the Good Human Factory, Cooper Chapman. How are you, mate? How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, down on the southern tip of the Queensland state at the Gold Coast. Um, I'm very well. I grew up in Sydney's northern beaches, actually, and uh, in New South Wales, which was an amazing place to grow up. But now, yeah, find myself on the Gold Coast and really loving life, to be honest. Got amazing people around me. Weather's starting to warm up. Can't complain at all. Yeah, that'd be nice in Perth. But um, that's right. We'll start there with the early life and growing up. Um, obviously, keen surfer, uh, but before that um rugby union um my first question was sort of around that and um how do you find that environment in rugby union and sort of what was your experience with it and how has it sort of led into other things yeah I think growing up my dad was just always super into sport he played like golden old oldies they used to call it rugby union for like the old boys would all get out there and have a run on the weekends and I started playing when I was about five years old rugby union and would um yeah, I really loved it. I think the team environment was a great way to foster working with people, learning how to be coached, learning how to like, yeah, work as a team to achieve an outcome, which I loved my junior rugby days. I had a pretty successful junior teams. We used to win quite a bit, which taught me sort of the love of winning and the love of being competitive. And then up until I was about, yeah, seven, eight, that was like five, six, seven, eight was all rugby union. And then started getting into surfing once I was about eight or nine, um, I'd be down the beach watching my dad surf all the time and then would do nippers, which is like surf life-saving and was always down the beach every weekend. And then I think I picked up a surfboard when I was about eight or nine years old for the first time and yeah, just fell in love with it. I had quite a early taking to a bit of talent and picked it up quite quickly because I'd spent so much time in the ocean with nippers that I was a pretty strong board paddler. I began to understand the ocean from quite a young age and yeah, just loved it and put in thousands and thousands of hours in the ocean from a um yeah from the age of eight or nine and surfing was the thing that I really wanted to do when I grew up yeah so it was always the sort of with that natural talent um and learning the discipline and um I suppose resilience from the rugby union days and applying that now to surfing was it always the competitive route you're going to go down or um what sort of goals did you have within that uh in like those early stages yeah, I think from a young age, surfing in my mind was going to be my future. I'd picked up sponsorship from when I was like 11 or 12. And when I was 14, I won like an under 16s Australian title and had kind of my vision set on pro surfing. I came from a beach called North Narrabeen that has quite a lot of local talent and quite a lot of role models to look up to who have achieved very high thing up to world titles in surfing. So I had um, a, a good path set based on the people around me. And then, yeah, from 15, 16, 17, I was representing Australia in junior world titles and had sponsorship and started getting paid when I was like 15, 16. So that was kind of the vision. And I was, yeah, hyper competitive. I put so many hours and energy into my surfing career. And yeah, that was kind of all my mind was set on once I finished school. I was always very aware that I needed to do more than just be a surfer, but I was also, um, I did have the understanding that because I was getting paid and surfing was already set for me, that was going to be my next few years after school. Definitely. Yeah. Were there any like just towing interests in anything else or like what were those sort of just budding interests? If there was any, there was nothing career wise that stood out to me. Like I wasn't like, I want to be a fireman when I grow up, I was always pretty set on that lifestyle of being a pro surfer traveling the world. And that was kind of, what I what I enjoyed but I also did have an understanding that it wouldn't last forever and I finished school and my mom and dad were always keen for me to like get extra education so I did like a cert four in sport and fitness and really enjoyed understanding how the body works and that was a great leeway into me understanding that mental and physical side of sport beyond just the time in the ocean was super important um, and then I also did like a frontline management business course because I just wanted to start learning how the world works and business works a bit better. 
Um, and then the last couple of years, obviously now, which we will probably get into being the mental health industry, I've began to try and do a bit of education around the science of wellbeing and read hundreds, or not hundreds, probably read like 60 self-development books over the last five, six years. And just begin, just really curious, how can I improve myself? And then that's stemmed into the career I'm in now, which is really cool getting to share my story to help people with their mental health. Yeah. Um, so back to sort of the younger days um, around sporting and growing up with obviously dad who's keen on sports and um, like family pushing you to do your best and um, all the typical stuff. Was there any sort of advice um, from your dad with surfing and sport and success and sort of like, maybe you look back on how it was, how it sort of came across then versus how you can sort of look back on it now and learn from it now. Yeah. There's so many things that I wish I listened to my dad more. Like he always told me, keep a diary, just write after each trip that you go on for a week or a month overseas, just write half a page, what you did, what you got up to. And I never did it. And now I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I, I can't even remember half the places I went. I'm like, I wish I just had like a little memory recollection. So that's one thing that I wish. And any young athlete out there listening, do that. And I've still even now wish I'd start writing a diary about what I'm doing now, but I still don't. But it's a downfall. Um, As well, my dad always said to me, appreciation, not expectation. Just appreciate that you're getting to do this amazing thing rather than expect sponsors to pay you more, rather than expect results to come. Just appreciate it. And I probably didn't listen to that until the very tail end of my career. I probably went eight years of traveling the world, wishing I was getting paid more money, wishing I was um achieving more than I was and I look back and I just wasted so much time and energy not being happy and not enjoying my time because I expected more um and then as well throughout my junior career I used to base so much of my self-worth and my identity all around if I was winning surf comp so when I was doing well my well-being and my overall identity and self-worth was high all my friends at the, my um, local beach would be like well done man last surf comp you killed it all my best mates knew me as cooper the pro surfer but then when i wasn't doing well i was kind of in a bit of a dark place and i'd try and avoid conversations around my surfing and be like there's something wrong with me just because i wasn't succeeding and that's been something that i've really worked on post my teen years and my early 20s is really starting to try and understand that i'm more than just a surfer that there's cooper chapman the human that hopefully now the good human that can yeah treat people well that can have a better understanding and perspective of the world how different we all are and then hopefully share my learnings with other people to inspire them to maybe view the world in a little softer and kinder way yeah um so obviously with a i guess inklings there but not necessarily picking up on it but what were some of your earliest sort of encounters with mental health and um what sort of impacts did that have on you and your family and um sort of where is it led to and how did it sort of impact you at the time too so like mental health with my family i lost an uncle when i was pretty young to suicide so i was always aware that suicide was a thing and then i watched my dad go through bouts of mental illness throughout my teen years from depression to anxiety to having a bit of a problem with alcohol um going to alcoholics anonymous and i was always aware that mental health was something and then my mum was kind of anti not anti-mental health but was kind of the era she raised was raised in was oh come on get over it you're meant to be the man like you don't need to so I was I had both sides of it as a teenager and saw both sides of it which was quite confusing to be honest because I'd see my mum be saying get over it and my dad really struggling and not being able to communicate it with her so I was always aware mental health might be an issue in my life because of that and then but I was sweet I was doing well I was in a good space and then once I progressed to the international tour after I was 19 from the junior tour it all changed I wasn't as successful and I began to really struggle I remember a time I was sitting in um, America with my manager having sushi one day and I just remember after losing in an event just being like my life's like falling apart because I'm not doing well in surf comps and my mental health is going to struggle. I need to go and see someone. Oh, I don't why, I don't have like, I shouldn't have to go and see someone. I'm traveling the world as a pro surfer. I'm living the best life ever. Why do I have mental health issues? So I was always very fearful. And that led me on this path of instead of going and asking for help, trying to develop skills myself, trying to take a bit of responsibility for my own mental health, because I was so scared to go and see someone. I was like, you know what? I'm going to at least give myself every opportunity by doing different things. So I began to meditate. I began to read self-development books and realize there's unlimited information out there, but it's how we use that information. Um, and yeah, that was a 
sort of journey with mental health for me the, to really realize, you know what, we can take mental health into our own hands if we can build the courage to take responsibility ourselves, especially for people who are too scared to ask for help, which is kind of the category I'd put myself under, but I at least began to help myself. Yeah. So where did that, I guess, what were sort of the key factors around changing that mindset from sort of a almost guilt of having this life that seemed to have every chance of being happy and um, just changing it to one where so you're in a spot where you're being challenged and progressing that into more of like a growth mindset and then how did you sort of pick the ways in which you'd learn things and then how did you go about implementing it and why do so many people sort of struggle once they learn things like everyone's happy to pick up on quotes and stuff they see but um, where do you think the struggle comes from implementing things and did you see any of that with your sort of journey, I guess? Yeah, I guess consistency is just so hard in anything. And one of the big changing factors for me, and it's something that I still work on, like I probably sound like I've got it way more together on every bit of content I ever put out. Like I struggle just as much as anyone, but I feel like I have good mental health because I have the skills that when times do get tough, that I can bring myself out of that rut. And that's the definition of good mental health, your ability to bounce back from difficult times. So for me, one of the big turning points was I went and spoke to my sports psych from a performance point of view and was telling him how I was feeling. And he said, like, you got to stop basing your self-worth on your achievements because so many of us do, and it's so common. Don't worry, but I want you to start trying to base your self-worth on your values. How well do you live to your values? And I began to think about what I really value in a person. And I was like, kindness, respect, honesty, um, all these things. But then my sports side was like, how well are you actually living to those things? And that was just like I think the biggest thing that changed was an awareness that I can take control myself. I can choose what values I live to and it takes work. And like you said, it's all well and good to know what your values are, but then it's just about having that self-awareness and that self ownership of, am I living to these values? Am I showing up in the world? How I admire people who show up like this, but am I, and it's just a constant battle with yourself every day. And I go through months and months sometimes where I'm not living to my values, which I also have the kindness to myself to be like, all right, you know what? I can be better. I can always be better. I can listen better. I can be kinder to people. There's always room for improvement, but it just came back to awareness for me. And that was, um, yeah, one of the things that I just learned, stop being the victim of your story. Oh, I didn't get that score because this judge doesn't like me. Oh, I um went through this because somebody like wronged me. It's like, well, once you can realize, you know what? Even if they did, I'm going to take responsibility for how I react to it. I'm going to take responsibility for how these situations happen in my life, but I'm going to choose how I respond to them. So, yeah, it just came back to a lot of awareness and trying to mature um, quite a bit. And like I said, I've come off probably far more mature and wise than I am because I still struggle. But, um, yeah, I just try and take stuff head on now and overcome challenges. Yeah, that's another thing, just facing up to it. Um, And I suppose when you were finding those values, what was sort of the questions you asked yourself or the sports psych asked you um to sort of trigger that what you really hold the most important because i think there's five values you're working with like that's a lot to narrow down into um and yeah. sort of brought everything around um how did, what were sort of the questions you asked yourself and how closely did you work with the psych or was it more a self-development thing or a bit of both yeah, it's a bit of both. I mean, I didn't work heaps closely with my psych. He's a good friend. He actually came on my podcast, Jason Patchell, he's a legend. But he, um, oh, we, I did this training camp a couple of years ago that was the Olympic train, first ever surfing Olympic training camp. And I got invited to be one of the surfers there. There was like the top 10 Aussie male surfers. And I got invited, which was a, a big honor. But I just lost my sponsor. I was going through a bit of like identity crisis, probably the hardest I'd ever gone through. And at this camp, um, we got asked, what's your philosophy, your life philosophy? And I didn't know. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll work on it. So that camp, I spent the whole weekend kind of thinking, what's my philosophy? And I worked out that my philosophy is through hard work, dedication and passion, being a um, positive influence to my peers and younger generations. And that kind of like was my guiding star for the next few years. How do I align values to that philosophy through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence to my peers and younger generations. And when I break it down, I was like, how do I be a positive influence? What's something that I value that I can add? And I was like, mental health is a bit of my story. 
Um, I never in- intended to build a business out of it. It was just like, how do I start living to that? How do I try and be a positive person to those around me? How do I be passionate about stuff I care about? How do I be vulnerable and authentic? And then I um, began to read different books of people who I look up to and who I truly admire and people like Andre Agassi. I'd never really knew who he was. I knew he was a tennis player, but I got recommended his book by my psych. And it's all about finding your purpose and finding your values and just starting to look to these people who seem a bit more whole, a bit more authentic and upfront and trying to role model myself around that. How can I be the person that when you leave a room, people talk about you positively behind your back and there's, so many people talk negatively about other people behind their back. And I try never to do that if ever, but I'm like, what can I do that can make me a person that, yeah, people go far out. That person left me feeling a bit better about myself. And um, yeah, that kind of just sent me on this journey of just trying to be a good human. There was always this inner voice in my head telling me when I was doing something wrong. And I guess it's our morals and values. And I just started trying to listen to it a bit more. And then yeah, that's kind of progressed into now having a business based around the whole concept of it all. Yeah. Um, with those sort of role models, I guess, like the I think I heard you talking the other day on I think it's the Momentum podcast, um, about the sort of physical accessibility of role models and like how you can sort of just pick and choose bits from people that you look up to. Um, I sort of how how important is that ability and how can you sort of help the effectiveness of that as well? I think once you become quite strong on what your values are, you can find other people that have bits of that value and pull from it. Like there's, I mean, most of my role models are people that don't even know who I am. You know what I mean? Like people that I read their book and I'm just like, far out. That person has a really nice way to think about the world. I'm going to try and adapt parts of that into my life. And they're people who I look up to. You don't need to have contact with these top level gurus and I don't know they're just the people who I really look up to I've spent years and years of their life researching different things about the brain different things about the actions that we take the ways that we act um and yeah trying to pull the parts out of all of them and so often nowadays somebody does one little thing wrong or does one part of that you don't agree with and then people discount everything else they do whereas once we can begin to yeah just actually hear people out and not discount everything they've done because they did one thing that you don't agree with um but yeah this it's it's everywhere out there like andrew tate's obviously someone that's great to reference and i hate so much about the guy but i have the humility and capacity to be like you know what i can listen to some stuff and find a great value in it in certain things but then not agree with other stuff but i just don't absorb the other stuff and i just take the lessons not the actual person from what people teach yeah it's just funny how like you can pick things up or be learn things from people you'd never expect as well like um i guess there's a couple of stories i wanted to ask you about um i think there's a story i heard um on one of the podcasts or something i've heard um about a japan surf event where they got knocked out early yeah i'll tell you you that one that's one of my famous stories so this is about kindness and me understanding like basically you can find stories anywhere so i was in this when i'm really struggling with my identity i'm 21 years old pro surfer cooper and me and my three mates are in japan we lose first round in this event cost us lots of money we've had a bad string of results we're not feeling good so we got a train into tokyo and we buy ourselves um a bunch of electronics and stuff that we don't really need but hey we're feeling a bit better we bought ourselves some stuff retail therapy so we get the train back to where we're staying that night and for dinner we go out and we're sitting there and this japanese guy's making a sushi and we're having a bit of a chat to him and spending some time um, while he's making some dinner and he said to me how's your day and i was like oh to be honest it was pretty disappointing we lost in the surf comp and we got the train in tokyo and we bought ourselves some stuff so we're feeling a bit better it's nice to go do some shopping and he's like oh you guys have got it all wrong I said, what do you mean? He said, in the Western world, you think when you're having a bad day, go and buy yourself something nice. What we say here in my culture and in Japan is when you're having a bad day, go and do something nice for somebody else. That'll make you feel good. And I was like, oh, it's so true. When you do nice things for others, that truly makes us feel good. But we don't get told that. We don't get marketed that because all the marketing we get shown in our days, if you really have a pretty cool think about it we live in a time that's unlike any other time in history we're getting marketed thousands of times a day telling you once you get this then you'll be happy once you buy this product that'll make you happy 
it's all wrong. Once we begin to realize that that's all just marketing and media and people telling you that what truly makes us happy. And there's so much science to prove it is things like being mindful and sitting with our thoughts and overcoming that um, speed and lack of clarity we all have because of the unlimited distractions, Um, things like gratitude, just thinking about what makes what is good in our life. Like I said before, appreciation, not expectation and seeing the world through a grateful lens, like that makes you feel good. There's science to prove your brain chemistry changes when we do this. When we're kind to people, there's science to prove now that kinder people are happier people. A lot of great data studies now out there show that people who are willing to rate higher on a kindness test will be happier as well. So it's like, there's all these great things out there to show that all these things make us happy, but we're just not fed it at school or in the media because nobody's making money off it. Yeah. And then I suppose that was a great segue as well with the, you learning all these things and seeing how important it is, but then noticing why didn't I learn this 10 years ago or five, 10 years ago. And I suppose that's sort of a great lead into the good human factory and um, just asking about that and where did it start and why did it start? Like what was the sort of, I guess, clicking, turning like um, moment to sort of actually act on it, get something started. Yeah. So I'd had a, like kind of, as we've spoken about this journey of self-development and trying to discover who I am and learning that this stuff wasn't taught at schools. And then my younger sister was in her last year of high school, three years ago now, three, four years ago. And she came home one night, and we're all sitting around the dinner table as a family. I've got three sisters, mum and dad, we're all still together um, back then living at home together. And my younger sister came home and said she lost a friend to suicide. That's not at school, but like she came home from school and said a friend had taken his life yesterday and was like, far out. Like you should, it sucks to hear your younger sister say that as we all do. Fuck. I wish I could do something about that. Blah, blah, blah. Didn't do anything. Two weeks later, she comes home and another friend had taken his life. And I was just like, you know what? I need to do something about this. I've been living the most privileged life, traveling as a pro surfer. I've gone through my challenges. Maybe I can share my story and my understanding of mental health because it's far different to what I got educated at school with some kids and they might, I might positively affect one kid and they not take their life of one. So I started to, well, I went and spoke to my old school teacher that I was friends with, who was a careers advisor and a good mate of mine. He was like, mate, there's a great business model in public speaking he was always a big mentor for business for me too. And he was like, I mean, like you were always a good human. Like you should just call it like the good human factory, like come and t- kids come to the factory and they leave feeling a bit better and they're a bit better of a human. And I was like, Oh sweet. So that was where the name came from. And then I went to my old school and did like one workshop there and thought, sweet, all the schools are going to book me to come and speak now. And boy, was I wrong. That was two years ago. And it's taken me like years of building credibility, years of being terrible at speaking to now having um yeah a keynote that i've spoken to corporate groups like apple telstra mcdonald's um i've spoken to over 60 schools over 20,000 students and yeah it's been a crazy journey but it took some um, time to really build the momentum build the credibility and just build the skill to be able to communicate my message in an effective way that engages students engages corporates and just shares mental health in a little bit different of a light i've been lucky enough to engage some of the world's best athletes who are great friends of mine in extreme sports in a whole bunch of different avenues to help me spread the message and try and make mental health cool and give it a bit of a different angle than so many of the organizations are coming at yeah um and with that i guess transition um from just process and wanted to do something um to like how did that sort of click into actually doing something and um like how was sort of the transition for you and then once you got there um did it sort of feel like you were sort of different to other people that had come and talked about mental health before and sort of how did that sit and how did you work around that and change it into a different mindset well it was de- when i first started there's a lot of imposter syndrome like who am i to come and speak about mental health i'm just pro- this pro surfer but then i started to take feedback and kids were saying they got a lot out of it and now it's morphed into me speaking better i've watched countless ted talks and tried to watch different people who are really engaging at speaking what they do how to tell stories better um but it was slow at the start i was working 50 hours a week doing carpentry to fund my next surf event for the two first two years of the good human factory it was like barely even a side hustle i'd call it like I'd do like one workshop every three months for the first year. So the first year wasn't even anything. It was just this idea, but I was working 50 hours to fund my surf career. If I 
had a, somebody asked me to come and speak through like a local sporting club. Like I think I did the yeah, three in my first year yeah. and um, yeah, it was slow. It was like, it wasn't anything the first year I'd say it's three years old. Now the second year it started to pick up a bit of pace and then um, COVID hit. And that was when the business really started. All my building work got canned, all my surf comps got canned. I moved to Byron for two months to really focus on trying to turn the good human factory into something more than just a name on a piece of pay a PowerPoint presentation. And yeah, 2020 when everything was closed allowed me to like build it into different avenues from launching the podcast to launching merch to having ambassadors to making the social media have a bit more. And then the workshop once COVID sort of finished 2021 started doing a few more, getting in a few more places, still pretty slow um doing bits and pieces here and there doing other work surfing full-time still competing um training full-time um working still quite a bit with serving australia coaching so it wasn't full-time and then i went overseas for four months in 2021 for surf events so i had to put everything on hold and then once i got home sort of jan 2022 this year i really started going like all right i've got an opportunity to turn this into something i'm getting a few more bookings then yeah, this year's just been like trying to get schools to book and get me to come and speak. But yeah, this year's really started to take off. Like I said, I've probably been to like over 30 schools this year, spoken to close, over 15,000 students just this year alone. Um, and yeah, it's really just started to take off. People are beginning to really appreciate my message. The podcast is growing. The um, social media is growing to like 20,000 followers. The podcast does like a thousand downloads every day now, which is super cool. Um and yeah, the workshop I'm doing multiple a week, like it's, it's really exciting where it's going, but yeah, it's been a journey to get here. It's like one of those ones where you only learned about me last week. I feel like people are doing that every single day right now. Um, and yeah, it's cool to know that what I've done so far has been appreciated, but I just feel like I'm really at the beginning of this journey. Yeah. And how important I guess was at the start and still ongoing um how important is the simplicity of the purpose and the message trying to get across because often when you're trying to learn things trying to self-develop things can get lost and just yeah. um, not really sink in so how important was pushing that simplicity and just incorporating things into everyone's like just daily life yeah i think i've been very lucky mental health is an industry that touches every single person so i don't have a very small niche it's everybody and um, I also am taking a slightly different angle and having the angle of like mental health isn't mental illness. It's something that we all have mental health and we should all be doing something to take care of it. So now that this whole thing's grown into such a big project, I do need to remind myself the impact that it is having. It does become, I try and distance myself a little bit from it or it kind of consumes you quite a bit because I mean, I get messages every single day that the podcast episode that I didn't even remember from four months ago, somebody listened to and it's changed their life. So it's like, it is super humbling knowing that the stuff that I do is having a big impact on people. The workshops I do, I get messages after every single one saying that people have oh, thought differently about mental health. And that's what I'm really trying to do is just challenge the way we think about mental health, realize it's not this big, scary topic. Sure, mental illness might be a bit of a scary topic for some people. It's something that I've gone through with my family. But once we begin to realize it's something that everybody's going to have some sort of touch point with throughout their life, and we don't need to be scared of it. We just need to approach it head on and realize it's something we all have. And yeah, it, it's been nice to maintain that philosophy I came up with years ago through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence on uh, my peers and younger generations. And that's what I really feel like I have been achieving the last couple of years, getting to connect with friends, um, especially like my peers has been really cool. I've got so many friends in my in a circle now that I feel like as a whole, we've become a lot more open to mental health. Everyone's so much more aware of it. And um, that's been the most special impact I feel like I've had as well as the extended community of people on um, the Good Human Factory social media, the podcast, and also my workshop. So, I mean, it's super humbling work, but yeah, I think there's millions more people that can learn stuff from the message that myself and the Good Human Factory puts out. Yeah. Um, within those workshops as well and changing that, I guess, mindset around, mental health talks and um, everything like that what are the sort of key points and things that you do differently within your workshops compared to the older style I guess of telling people how bad it is and um, I guess what do you do differently within yours um, with your um, experience 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm very honest. I'm not a psychologist. I don't have all the answers, but I can share my story in a way that hopefully inspires people to take some responsibility themselves. Hopefully from my story of understanding that bit of fear of asking for help allowed me to go on this journey to develop by myself. So my workshop doesn't come in and talk about anxiety and depression. Um, it's not my place to speak on. That's really angling at that 20% of people with a mental illness, but 90% of the organizations approach that side of the industry, which is important. And I'm I'm stoked that they all do that because it allows me for a far bigger market share to come and share my story because I know me as a kid and so many other young people out there don't leave a mental health talk about, oh, this is what anxiety looks like. Here's all the stats. Here's so important to do that, but not every workshop has to be that. Mine's all about inspiring kids and empowering them to be like, hey, you know what? It's kind of cool to take care of my mental health. Why shouldn't I just try and meditate each day? Why shouldn't I tell my friends I'm grateful for them? Why shouldn't I be a bit more empathetic to people around me? It, it just opens up relationships to be better for myself. Like these aren't things that are lame and you know what I mean? Like what we used to call it at school, like, oh, mental health style, that's gay. Like that's lame. Whereas now it's like, nah, like let's make mental health cool. And that's what I'm um, yeah, really proud to be doing now. Yeah. And are there any sort of differences or similarities um, between the workshops with schools and corporates or um, is it sort of just pretty straightforward messaging? And um, So initially I was like, I'm going to go speak to young top level athletes. That's my target market. Started doing the workshop for them and realized, oh, you know what? It's too small. I need to talk to more. Um from a business point of view. So I went, I'll speak to all students. So I started speaking to students and the teachers started saying to me, oh, we really needed that workshop. So then I started doing some teacher workshops with very similar, change the stories and the language a little bit, same structure though of the workshop. Um, and then, and same themes and concepts and values. Um, and then the teachers were all like, oh, that's amazing. So then I started doing the same workshop for corporates. So the workshop is actually very similar. I am working on um, a new keynote for, um, corporates next year that'll be a bit shorter a bit punchier a bit more of a um keynote on um riding the waves of life and understanding how to find balance through the tough times so that's something i'm working on for next year but right now my workshop is just called the good human factory feel good workshop how to living with values will change your life um, and then i also do have like an hour gratitude experience which is a bit more heavily focused on gratitude so there um yeah there's three different sort of things that I am going to be offering next year. But for right now, it's just kind of like a one hour workshop that involves a few different techniques, learning about values and how we can incorporate them into our life. Yeah. Um, I'm conscious of time as well. I sort of just wanted to ask about the 1% club um, as well. Um, the thing that is really engaging for myself um, that I've sort of picked up on um, and just making it easy to engage with mental health and um, just sort of, and then it's also not just one percent. Like you do the one percent, and more often than not, people find themselves doing more. And um, sort of, how has it helped with the accountability um, of the one percent club as well? Yeah. So the one percent club was, I kind of invented. I guess you'd call it founded, <laughs> like eighteen months ago. I did. I was doing a meditation, and I'd been going to schools and preaching to everyone, meditate every day, do gratitude every day. And to be honest, I wasn't doing it every day. I was a bit of a fraud if I look back. And I was like, you know what? I need to start doing this every single day. And I was like, I'd just done a group with the Momentum guys, actually, like a 10-week course. And in the course, they talked about the fact that we're 800% more likely to maintain a habit if we have an accountability group. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I can start Instagram little group chats with 30 people as a max in an Instagram group chat back then, thinking I'd maybe get five or 10 people that might want to join in with me. And um, I was like, I'll send a 10-minute guided meditation in the morning. And I'll do four minutes of gratitude at night because 14 minutes is 1% of a 24-hour day. So I was like, all right, 1% of my day to my mental health. Surely I can manage that. Surely all of us can manage that. And with a bit of accountability, it'll help other people. 10 minutes of meditation, four minutes of gratitude. So yeah, 490 days ago now I started it. And every single morning I've sent the guide to meditation. Every single night I've done the gratitude. And there's over a thousand members now. Um, I have a podcast where I talk about the gratitude it's called the 1% podcast on good humans podcast. Um, talk about that weekly, which is really cool. And it's just been phenomenal every week. There's now like 3000 gratitudes written in from complete strangers all around the world. And it's just a positive place for people to come be part of a community. They get added in. Now there's nine group chats with a hundred in each chat, um, or 120 in each chat. Um, 
which is just so cool. It's completely free to join. Anyone can join. You send at the good human factory direct message on Instagram and say, I want to join the club. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Every day I just send that meditation and do the gratitude. Everyone writes their gratitude in their group. And it's just a way to stay accountable and build those really simple habits. Yeah. Do you think that sort of um, helps again with the um, people that want to implement a positive change, but just only get to that part where they're picking up on lessons, but struggling to implement it? Do you think that really helps as well? And um, as well with the recognizing progress, having so many people around you tell you, and just sort of relate to your story as well. Um, another thing is just people being overcritical and that sort of, um, as well as talk, like the lack of tall poppy syndrome in those groups too. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just an opportunity to just share your gratitude. There's no big or small, there's no gratitude too big or too small. It's about what's happening in your life and the way you interpret it. And that's the special thing about these groups. All these people are strangers and someone will write, oh, I've had a hard day, but I'm still grateful for this, this and this. And somebody and everyone will write reply to their message going like, Oh, I hope you have a better day tomorrow. And these people are all strangers. Like it's beautiful to see the communities that have formed. And like I said before, you're 800% more likely to maintain a habit if you have an accountability group. So if you're someone who finds it hard, like all of us, you're going to be eight times more likely to maintain that habit if you've got people around you. So yeah, if you're listening right now, join the 1% club, give 1% of your day to your mental health. It'll change your life. It has so many people. Yeah, another life-changing thing and another branch, I guess, from the Good Humans Factory has been the 28 and Sober uh, podcast that you've been doing as well this year. Um, sort of where did that idea come from and what have you, I guess, realised or learnt from it so far? Yeah, so on my podcast, Good Humans, I had um, Nicole Vignola, this amazing neuroscientist from over in the UK on, and we spoke about the effects of a whole range of things on the brain from drugs and alcohol to sleep to exercise and then... Um, gratitude and all these things and when we spoke about alcohol it kind of just made me realize how bad it is for us yet a lot of us don't really acknowledge that and I was just about to turn 28 and I was just like you know what fuck I've been drinking alcohol for 10 years from 18 to 28 probably longer to be honest surely I can give a year up like who's in control me or the circumstances and the culture that I'm living in and I decided on that podcast I'll take a year off and yeah, that was six months ago. Now I haven't had a drop of alcohol in six and a half months and yeah, feeling great. Lots of good things have happened. I started a podcast once again to keep myself accountable. Um, so on Mondays, I just give a little five minute update on what I've been going through. It's now my most listened to episode each week because there's so many people who are tuning in to um, listen to my story to hopefully inspire them to make some healthy changes and give them permission to too. If I'm someone who has all these opportunities to drink and party and have all these great things around me and I can choose not to, then hopefully other people can see that it's okay to not follow the status quo and yeah, prioritize your health and dropping alcohol was um, it's been interesting, but it's something that I'm um, proud of and something that I'm excited for the next six months of the journey. Yeah. And with that, I guess, drinking culture in Australia and the way that it is, um, has there been, I guess, the fight between dropping alcohol and staying home, I guess, is this another difference that people have on the idea of it? Um, and the sort of fueling the good times sort of um, thinking around alcohol sort of has there been any I guess pickups that you've had on a night out um, sober on how to um, I guess kill those thoughts and those demons to just grab a drink like if someone offers you one a few like normally when someone says oh do you want a drink and I say no it's like oh come on have one like but then you explain why you're doing oh I'm trying to take care of my health like if anyone questions that against me and goes, oh, right, are you here? I'm just like, that's just because you are like, I don't know. I've just developed enough as a person to know what matters to me that if somebody questions it, it's like, well, I know what I want to do for myself and that's okay. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. That's usually your insecurity that you can't take some time off alcohol. But I've had overwhelming support. The people around me have been very supportive of it. One thing for me, I've realized like I didn't stop drinking. I stopped drinking alcohol. So trying to have different non-alc options and still be able to go out, enjoy myself, be involved with stuff. But I just don't need the alcohol to have a good time anymore. I still stay out late, still be involved. But I go home and get to drive home at 11 or midnight once I don't really need to be out anymore and wake up and enjoy my next day. So I haven't really felt like I've missed out on that much other than a few really late nights and really shit hangovers. <laughs> so it's, um, it's been cool to just um, be sure of myself and back my own decision to make positive choices. Yeah. I guess the other big question with the 28, like the year off, how do you see it going next year? Um, how do you think, I guess, 
you think the floodgates will stay shut um, and you just be able to knock it back, I guess. Um, and how do you think that this year will affect your view on it, I guess, next year? Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely drink again. I don't think it's something that I don't think I ever had a problem, but I think it's just cool to check to a challenge and take a year off. Um, but I definitely think my frequency will drop. Like I don't feel an urge at all to ever have a drink. So I don't feel like I'll just like have a beer in the Arvo. Like I used to multiple days a week. I might still pick my occasions and for the wet weddings and nights at friends are DJing, have my occasional nights out and maybe once a month have a bit of a spray, but, um, I don't think it'll be just a frequent thing just for the sake of it anymore. Yeah. Um, we've touched on it already a little bit, but, um, it's a good human podcast. Awesome listen, um, awesome guests. And how, I guess, does that tie in with your ambassadors and just sort of showing people that um, it's normal to have, like, efforts to increase mental health and um, everyone has a story sort of thing. Um, and I guess working with the Wellbeing Network and um, people like Peter Ball and just how do you think the weight of people like yourself and the people you have on the podcast carries through to people? wanting to help yes. i just think we all have such a great story unfortunately i'm not with the well-being network anymore i do it all myself they um took a bit of a different angle but um legends i bloody love robin Locke. but i yeah now I do it all myself which has been kind of interesting doing it all independently but i just it's a good way to get to share what i am so passionate about and i understand that i've got a really deep network i'm very lucky that i've got incredible people around me and i just like to get to listen to their stories and share them and it doesn't like for me, it's just sitting down with incredible people and talking to them and getting to learn their stories and just building on relationships. And I've learned that by hearing people's highlights is incredible, but hearing their lowlights is where a lot more people can relate. We all go through these tough times. You might not be able to relate to Harley Clifford winning his eighth world title, but you can relate to his brother having a, um, a health condition that people didn't know about that he was dealing with that he didn't get to share with too many people. So telling the low light stories from people's life, I think is really special because I'm sure I know for all of them, it's really therapeutic letting people in that their life isn't perfect and you don't have to look at their life as perfect. So getting to share people's stories has just been so special. And then my other episodes around the sober one and the 1% one, it's just cool to um, have a platform to share different ways of thinking and share resources that I've found and give um, people, yeah, just a, a new way of thinking about mental health, which is really aligned with obviously the vision for my overall business and life in general. Yeah. And following through with the ambassador thing and um, growing the community, I guess, um, having events like what you did at Nitro Circus and the um, thing the other day, the first like community event with Brooks running. Um, how do you sort of, is it more of like a reward for you and like showing what you're doing is having an impact and leading in the right direction and how does those events sort of impact others and where do you see it going forward? Yeah, I just think it's really cool being able to collaborate with brands like Nitro World Games and Brooks and now seeing the Good Human Factory as a great leeway into mental health, but from a different angle, it's not having a big charity come and raise money. And I feel like a lot of that was very like tokenistic and trying to tick a box. Whereas the good human factory is about making mental health cool. All my ambassadors are top level extreme sport athletes from wakeboarders to BMX, motocross, snowboarders, um, divers, bloody, you name it. There's a whole bunch of incredible athletes who are helping me spread that message. So yeah, just trying to take a bit of a different angle, make mental health cool, make it not this big charity raising thing, make it like actively kids coming and writing what they're grateful for showing kids. Oh, look, all these ambassadors are talking about mental health. Maybe I can talk about it. It's a bit cooler. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the angle I'm really trying to take slowly, but surely the merch will start to grow into something that is a bit more, um, a bit more of a brand. The ambassadors will get more involved. We'll start doing YouTube stuff and really telling people's stories. But yeah, for now, just, building an ambassador team of great people and yeah, seeing where it takes me. Yeah. And I guess coming back to the core of it, the values behind it all, um, five things that have, have been seen in the past as very broad topics. Um, I guess how does gratitude, empathy, kindness, mindfulness and responsibility, what do those sort of things mean to you and the good human factory? Like how do you, how would you summarize them? Oh, they're just the values that I try and live by, whether it be each day waking up with the self-awareness that, hey, I need to take responsibility for my future today. I'm not going to let other people dictate that, whether it be my health, my fitness, my um, nutrition, my business growth, 
my relationships, I need to do that. And there's things that I stuff up all the time. My finance is something that I suck at. Like I put my finance and my, um, that side of my business, not even my business, but my personal and stuff like out of my mind. And it's something that I'm really trying to work on. So there's so many things that I, yeah, I'm out of balance with, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm take responsibility and I have awareness of that at least, which I think is the first step. So that's responsibility. And then yeah, positive actions to make myself live an enriched life with things like daily gratitude, thinking about what went well today, just really simple things. Um, sending messages to people when they help me out and really truly showing gratitude to them, really having appreciation, not expectation. Um, then empathy, it's just something that we all have, but can all get better at. The more I do podcasts and understand the importance of listening to people, really trying to actually listen, not just wait for your chance to respond. Um, that's been a big one. I, I just try and live by these things my on my daily life. And then mindfulness, um, just trying to be present when I'm around people, trying to actually be there when I'm with people, um, trying to take time each day to sit with my own thoughts and really not just try and distract myself from encountering what's actually going on up there. So things like meditation is so important to me to be still and be calm and be able to respond to circumstances in life rather than react to them. And then kindness is just um, a core pillar in myself, whether it be being kind to myself being kind to others or being kind to the environment. These are all topics that we should all be prioritizing every single day, yet they kind of get pushed to the wayside. But I've learned that once I lead with these values, then all other things in my life have been falling into place around me rather than trying to put them into place. And if I've got time focusing on the values, it, a lot of people flip it, focus on the career, the growth, and then focus on the values later. But it's I've learned that if I focus on the values, everything else builds around me. Yeah. And I guess within... um. So I lost train of thought. Um, within I guess the responsibility again, um, of sort of having a platform. How did you sort of see that within once you've sort of grown the um want and desire? How did you sort of relate that into having the platform and using it and making sure you did? And um, is that sort of something you push with ambassadors as well? Like we have this amazing opportunity to do good. How much does that sort of play on? Um, your drive yeah I just felt this somewhat responsibility that I'd had this privilege and lived this amazing life like who am I not to share what I've learned with other people and now it's really cool with my ambassadors a lot of them are looking to um, get into speaking and sharing their story so I've built now a business where they can come and speak underneath me and not um, go to a big agency they can really come under that banner of just trying to make people better humans so I mean I feel like to be honest I'm so much smaller than what sometimes from the outside in it looks like i feel like i've got so much room to grow i'm literally i look at it like i'm two years into this i'm a second year apprentice yeah. um i've got so much growth to have and um yeah i'm excited where it's going to go but yeah it's just trying to each day do things that are walking in the right direction rather than the wrong direction and i feel like i'm doing that right now yeah and with the kindness i picked up on something the other day you saying um kindness can either be an act of service or a transaction um mm. what you sort of stress when you're talking about kindness um when i talk about kindness it's just do kindness because it makes you feel good not because you expect something in return so many people give a good gift because it's going to get them a better gift for christmas next time or their birthday once you drop that it just makes your life so much better you give because it makes you feel good because it's changing your brain chemistry and as well, we as humans try not to accept compliments or accept gifts that we don't feel like we're worthy for. But what you got to understand is when you go do that, all oh, kind of awkward, oh, no, 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 I can't accept that. You're blocking somebody else's chance to give and what makes us feel good. So once we realize that you do good things for others because it makes you feel good, not because you get something in return, that's true kindness. Yeah. Has there been instances, I guess, where call it karma, but things have sort of come back down the line? I mean, everything that happens in my life right now feels like good karma, but I've just had so many amazing people really try and help me on my journey. I've met a couple really top level creative people and public speakers who have just been by the weirdest universe chances that I've said yes to opportunities. And now I've got an incredible guy helping me write my new, new keynote who's a top level motivational guru speaker. He's done TED Talks and I just met him at a bloody cafe because i was wearing all white and he was wearing all white and we had a chat and now he's my coach and doing it for free like stuff like that is maybe good karma but yeah it also is just me putting myself out there and um, being open to opportunities 
I guess with the um just wearing the merch as well I guess how important is that um with stressing the message and just bringing about those opportunities for those chance meetings and um just meeting new people and those opportunities yeah I mean the merch has been fun I didn't do it for any other reason that it's a platform to spread a positive message and try and have merch that has a bit of meeting I think gone are the days where you buy something to make you look good to make other people like jealous like nowadays I think the future of merch and the future of clothing is to like have messaging that can walk somebody can walk past and make their day it's like why shouldn't we we be walking positivity billboards and that's what I want my merch to be I've got different messages like what are you grateful for written on the back or be kind to your mind written on the chest of uh, two major shirts and the amount of stories that I get from people messaging me going like oh I got stopped on the street by someone and they told me such a beautiful story and the connections and relationships that it can foster just by little messaging on merch is um yeah it's been really cool so yeah if anyone wants to check out the merch it's just thegoodhumanfactory.com and you can yeah look at what we make yeah all the links will be in the show notes um of course and that's the last question the most important question is what's next for cooper chapman the good human factory and um where's it all heading oh man i've got every pillar has like a scale opportunity from my workshops i want to turn it into an e-learning module so i can get it to school so i can not have to be there and scale that way i just want to get better at speaking start speaking for bigger corporate clients speak to more schools um, that's what I'm really going to focus on next year, just really structuring a good year. Um, the podcast is just growing week in, week out. It's really special to continue to speak to incredible guests and get their stories heard. Um, the merch, I've got some exciting stuff, hopefully coming next year, working with a guy that I met. Once again, the universe has dropped on my lap. This guy who's um, the creative director, used to be the creative director for Victoria's Secret and Kanye for Yeezy. Um, and he really wants to help me build the brand and get this message all around the world. So looking at relaunching a lot of stuff next year with the merch, which is exciting. The ambassadors are just going to continue to grow, really going to start pushing YouTube stuff to tell their stories a bit more. The 1% club continues to grow week in, week out. I'd love to turn it into an app and really build that aspect of it. But yeah, everything's just slowly growing. I'm learning how to structure a business and build a team around me, but yeah, I've got a lot of exciting opportunities, but I'm just taking it week at a time right now because things pop up and I'm just trying to, work out how they fit into this crazy thing called life that I'm building right now. Yeah, exactly right. Um, great to have a chat and hopefully all goes well and I can catch up again another day down the track. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for giving me the chance to share my story. Hope it all goes well with you. Good luck with everything.